everyone, and welcome to We Just Started, a new podcast all about entrepreneurship in Korea, focusing on social innovation and sustainability. Together with my guests, we'll be delving into the fun, the failures, and how people are aiming to disrupt current ways of doing things here and globally. So let's welcome today's guest. Hello and welcome. We have the lovely Dominic Dunninga with us today, who runs Packative. Maybe, maybe you can introduce yourself, Dominic, because you have a really interesting background as well. You've lived in a lot of different countries. Now you're flying high with Packative here, working in Korean, FYI, guys. He's not Korean, <laughs> in case his name didn't give it away, which I massively admire. So... Could you tell us a few words about yourself and, and um, Packative, maybe? Sure. Yeah. Hi. Thanks. Thanks for having me today. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm running Packative, a, a packaging online e-commerce startup um, in Korea. And you have the mission and vision to revolutionize the whole packaging industry to bring it into the digital age. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we have been, I've been doing this actually for the last... Three years almost, I would say. So we have launched our service in 2021, February. And oh, during COVID, nice. Yeah. <laughs> so it has been already a, a longer ride, um, but still, I would say we are early, early stage startup. Yeah, we're doing well. We are growing a lot. Yeah, you are. In the last year, we just received our investment day in March. Um, and we just got accepted to TIPS, uh, the biggest R&D project program fund in Korea. That's amazing. I kept hearing about TIPS and how awesome it is. And basically, if you're in TIPS, you're like gold. You're like good to go. Everyone knows it. You'll get like, so no one can see this, but there's a huge smile on Dominique's face. And I feel like that he has a big right to do that. <laughs> TIPS is Probably one of the most prestigious programs in Korea when it comes to funds. Yeah. Um, so there was always this rumor, actually. So I didn't actually apply for tips for the last two years because there was this rumor that foreigners cannot apply. <gasps> oh, no. Um, but I don't actually know anybody who joined tips before as a foreigner. Really? Uh, so I'm, I'm wondering if there's somebody out there. Uh, it would be cool to like share my experience with tips with someone else and some other foreign funders. But I haven't found anyone so far. Oh, okay. Well, if anyone is listening, <laughs> is a foreigner who did tips, holla. <laughs> Let Dominate <Yeah>. know. <laughs> I'm sure we can find someone. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Um, so was it a really difficult process then for you also as a foreigner applying to that? How was so, it? Yeah, you have to write everything in Korean, right? The whole business model has Obviously. to be in Korean. Um, I mean, it's it's a really difficult task in general, in any, <laughs> any language, right? So you have to do the budgeting, you have to do the business plan, for, which has like 50 pages, I think, and you have to present wow. it. So I also did the technical part of the presentation in Korea. Um, and yeah, it's it's a huge program. It, it took me wow. probably three months on preparation time. Um, and you have to have a provider, right? So you have to have an investor who introduce you to the um was it called Business Angel Foundation or something? Oh, is it like an insider thing? Like it's like almost like one of those like crazy dating things or something where they're like, you're only allowed if I bring you in by a friend. So usually you have to have some um, accelerators. Mm. So because it was VNTG, VNTG, and then there's some other accelerators like Spark Labs, 
primers. So those are mm. like providers for tips. Uh-huh. And if you are not accepted by one of the provider, you can't even you cannot apply actually. Wow. So you had to do that first. Yeah. So we got and then apply the tips in in twenty twenty one was our seed investment by VTG. And you have to get the seed investment and then you can actually apply. So So you just I'm sorry, back up. You just founded it in 2021 and you already got the seed money at that same time yes okay 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 fine (laughs) it's it's a it's going very badly for you guys from the start that's so what is your story with soul because you're originally from austria right you've lived in canada as well what brought you to korea why korea of all places so yeah, I lived in Canada before. I, I made tons of Korean friends. And <laughs> I think most of the the people coming to Canada to study English there are Swiss, Korean, or Japanese. So most of my friends were like from those countries, and it, it was really a fun, great time in Vancouver, Canada. Um, and then I came to visit my friend in 2010 um, in Korea, and I thought, oh, it's a really nice, cool country. Um, it's really innovative. And I want to do some business with it. And at the time, I was partner of a software company in Austria. We had around 30 employees. We were focusing on document management solution, PDF solutions. Um, so I thought, why not start doing some business with Korea and just establish a branch in, in Korea? Mm-hmm. And I opened this representative with office in 2013. I ran it for about three, four years in Korea. Wow. And at one point, my my... Austrian partners wanted me back in Europe, um, <laughs> but I really didn't want to go anywhere. I was so comfortable with my Korean life at that point. So I just decided to leave the company and just do something else. That's such a huge step to take, especially if you're abroad, yeah. like so far from you. Like, isn't like no matter how much you integrate somewhere, it's still a huge step to just quit and be like, okay, I'm going to do my own thing here. I'm not fluent maybe in the language yet or like whatever. It's very bureaucratic. So you must have really felt passionately about Korea to, <laughs> yeah. to decide that. That's yeah. like I, I think it was also, I had a lot of confidence in myself, I would say. Nice, yeah. To be able to... Make it. Yeah, make it, find a job, do some freelancing to survive. Um, I think that gave me a lot of confidence to make this start to it really quick. So that's like also a nice note for everyone out there to have the confidence, guys. Yes, do it. Yeah. If you can, do it. And if you're think if you can think back maybe on your first time arriving here, what kind of made the biggest impression on you? Because you already you came in 2010 first to visit. You moved in 2013. And now 10 years later, I don't know if you can remember back your first big impression, something that you were like, oh, oh that is like very different or this is like super similar to Austria. <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I think the first time when I came in 2010, the most impressive thing was the Korean convenience stores for me. <laughs> Because we don't have those in Austria, right? So whenever we... They're amazing, it's true. Yeah, so whenever we... we we, we need some convenience, so we have to go to the gas station or something like mm, that, which is mm. super expensive. Um, so we don't really have the concept, and I, I loved Ministop at that time. I loved to get like, this chicken from Ministop. It was super awesome. Um, so I think this was my first real impression. 
Um, I couldn't read Korean at that time. I, I didn't understand any word. Um, but yeah, it was fun. It was the buses. All of the buses have a different color. All of the emergency cars, they don't have like this blue red light anymore. Uh-huh. They have like green lights, right? So this yeah. was like a, what's going on here. So it was fun, yeah. So I think this was my first, first expression of it. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. Those are like some things that I wouldn't have thought of. But but now going back, I feel like if I go back to Europe, oh man, I'm going to miss the convenience stores so much. That ramen, just having anything, anytime you want, and you can eat there. Europe, West, listen up. We need this in our lives. Thank you. <laughs> um, and did you ever have a big culture shock moving here? Do you feel, or were you like pretty well prepared? Because you, I think the first maybe six years, not not that much. The yeah. first six years. <laughs> so I mean, when I started here as, as like this representative office, I didn't deal with too many Korean companies, so ah. I didn't have too much business um, in real business with business partnerships. So at that time. I didn't really have a business culture shock, I would say. Mm-hmm. But when it came to running my own business, mm. then I got like a really big culture shock. Oh, really? Yeah. Because running a business is totally different in Austria than in Korea, I would say. Oh. Building company culture is different in Austria than in Korea. So I had a company before with like 30 employees, right? In Austria. Uh-huh. So it, it is definitely different of the problems you have in the company. Um, the the way you're deceived or the way you're just seen by your employees or oh. uh, it, it's totally different. So in Korea, you have this word nunchi. Uh, uh-huh. and you have this a lot in business, which you don't really have in in Europe, I would say. What does that mean, nunchi? It's like whatever you do, whatever action you do, you always constantly being observed oh is it the subconscious thing right where that like where the culture is you need to understand the subtext yeah and the people's body language Mm -hmm. to understand what is actually going on yeah exactly whereas austrian culture i don't tell me if i'm wrong if i can stereotype austria based on my germanic (laughs) background (laughs) austrians would be i guess much more direct i would assume like not afraid of saying things how they are yes yeah and and then you don't need to read body language because people will just tell you right yeah so so that's like a new skill set you need yeah Definitely. I'm, I'm still a really direct um, Austrian, I'm still, I'm still me as a... You're still you, yeah. <laughs> so I'm running the company also the same way, but it's more of like when we have a meeting and there are some things maybe I don't like, maybe I'm just like moving my face. I don't have a mo- like poker face. I, I show uh-huh. my emotions pretty much. Uh-huh. So people might be really confused about this. But if I don't like it, I will anyway say it directly. Mm. But some some people maybe think, oh, maybe he doesn't like it. So this is like this nunchi concept of uh-huh. like keep thinking of like, oh, what does he think? What does he do? Keep observing me. Uh-huh. And this this can create some additional problems, I think. Um, it sounds yeah. so stressful. I mean, I, I understand it, but like for both sides, it sounds a bit stressful. It's like, need to watch you all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so I think right now we, we manage this pretty well in our team mm. in the beginning. Um, I have my difficulties with this outset. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting, though. Thanks for sharing that, because I think it's really interesting to see the different cultures and how it then works. Um, so Nunchi was your biggest one. Yeah. The, so but between living in Canada, Austria, and Korea, maybe 
what are some of the biggest difference or like similarities even maybe that you felt from working there or living there? I wouldn't say. Any? Wow. Okay. Because I ask, because for me, I lived in Norway and I actually feel Korea and Norway are very similar, mm. which, which sounds counterintuitive, but yeah. So that's why I was just curious from your perspective. So I find because they're very homogenous societies so far, uh, both countries haven't had lots of immigration until recently. Um, so everyone is homogenous. Everyone wears the same style, looks the same, wears the same five colors, you know, like there's unwritten certain rules that you have. Yeah. Um, also the obsession with like outdoor sports, I find hilarious. Because Norwegians love hiking, Koreans love hiking, and that's where they invest money. Like, that's where the flashiness then comes in. Uh, whereas in Greece, no one would flash for, like, hiking gear. Yeah. They flash for going out, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, yeah, so that's why. <laughs> But then what was your main motivation to start your your business in Korea? Like, your business says, because you had two businesses here, right? Uh, you had one before Packative. Yes, so it came with the previous business led into this current business. So uh, I did the Olympic Games, right? So I did some consulting for the Olympic Games. I did the food sourcing um, for three different catering companies um, during the Pension Olympic Games. So we're in charge of around 12 country houses. Mm -hmm. um, and we worked with CJ Freshwood and some, some other huge comp companies to source all the food and deliver it to, to the to Pension. Um, and at that time, wow. I had one of our customers, which was the Canadian house, mm -hmm. um, and they needed some burger boxes. <laughs> burger boxes printed with the sponsor, Canadian airline or something. Uh -huh. um, but they only needed 500 units, I think. Uh -huh. So 500 boxes, and it was impossible for us to produce those boxes. I could Seriously? So it was every other job we managed. They asked business cards, websites. <laughs> Even they, one time they asked us at two o'clock at night if we can pick up a car and we can print the logo on the car. What? So we did this. Um, everything worked out um, except the packaging. Except the freaking packaging. Yeah, so this was the only thing we couldn't really. Wow. Um, so after the Olympic Games, I looked more into this packaging uh, market mm. and the problems behind it. And I thought, okay, there. With technology, you can solve a lot of these problems. Yeah. And that's why I thought of, yeah, I'm going to tackle this, this problem. I'm going to make it, um, I'm, I'm going to revolutionize it and just make it a, a cool startup that can really solve the problem. Yeah. You really saw the, like, you literally lived the problem. Yeah. <laughs> but, but this is basically how I started the company, just for like Olympic Games and importing some stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it, it kind of like transformed into like snowballs. Yeah. Packaging into industry. Yeah. That's so cool. For anyone listening, I'm going to like post the, the website as well. You're going to look at it and it's so creative and it's so cool. All the colors, there's blogs there that gives you intel and stuff. It's just like very happy. It makes me very happy. <laughs> All the color schemes and everything. Um, but then, so what exactly does Packative do? Because you're very innovative, like you do 3D printing, right? So, so oh, it's not. Oh, sorry, sorry. So we do... We develop this 3D packaging editor. 
Ah. And your packaging and you see it in real time in 3D on a 3D model, right? Ah. So you can turn it around, flip it over because a lot of designers and customers have to problem. They cannot really imagine how the 2D design is mm. in a 3D box. And yeah. Therefore, there are a lot of problems during printing. It's like the lowest flipped upside down or something. Mm. And then they have to package and you have to reproduce it, which is costly. Um, so this was one of the things we started with this 3D editor. And then what we also do in the background, we use a lot of technology to automate the processes of packaging calculation. Because whenever you go to a packaging company ask for like a price, they will tell you it's, it's super complicated of like how you calculate the packaging. Oh, really? And you cannot calculate this by like a software or something. It has to be manually calculated. Oh. So this is what most of the packaging companies um, told me. And then I always came with the argument a Tesla car is driving itself on the street and you want to tell me <laughs> you cannot calculate the cost of packaging with a software. It doesn't really make sense. Oh so, yeah, um, we basically built this whole software in the background now to automatically, automatically calculate the, the cost oh. for packaging. Yeah, so this is our big technology part. And uh, we also do using some AI these days for, for cost optimization and mm. our own ERP system. A lot of other small secret hidden tech parts. Ooh. I did see on your website that it said, and we calculate your costs within seconds <laughs> or something. Yeah, right. And now it seems like, oh, I get it now. Now it's like a bit of a wink, wink, yeah. nudge, nudge to everyone else. Right. It's like um, well, packaging calculation itself, it sounds really trivial and simple. Mm -hmm. I agree it's, it's, it's more complicated, so that's why I understand also the factories yeah. is complicated because the main issue about the production cost is you have to calculate how many times does one box fit on the, all the different paper sizes. So you have like A4, for example. Oh my gosh, yeah. All of the different sizes that fit into the machine, and we have to calculate how many times does it like nest on one paper, uh -huh. and what is the most efficient way, so we calculate every possibility with all of the different printing options, all of the possibilities, and that, that takes like a few seconds. Jeez. So that's why it makes it kind of complicated. So we use some CV kind of like CAD system in the background, but we have written ourselves to like really calculate the packaging structure first mm. before calculating the cost. Yeah. And I remember also from a previous conversation we had, one of the other things that kind of makes you special is that you have a lower threshold for how many packages people can order in comparison to others yeah. here, right? So we also have a, a bit of a different supply chain setup of the production um, chain. So that allows us to offer as low as 50 pieces on, on production. Mm. While most of the companies they offer 1,000 plus. Oh, wow. That's a big yeah. difference. So we have one of the... First, but the only company still who offer like low quantity production. Um, but we mm. do everything right now these days from low to even like 20,000, 50,000 pieces of production. Yeah. Wow. That's a <laughs> And just to like follow up, so a little bit, um, a, a random whimsy question. What is one of your favorite ones that you've like had to design? Favorite packaging ones? My favorite ones. Um, that was like fun to make or something. One of my favorite projects was um, definitely Piggy because I did the whole sales process of it. Um, and previously, I, I also did like this this 
Pop Pebble Talk with um, the founder of Picky. Oh, um, yeah, it was nice to meet him. I usually worked with, with this employee before, and yeah, this was one of my I would say favorite projects because I the whole like A to Z kind of thing. Oh, that does sound fun though. And you've made another point of making sure that your startup here is fully integrated in Korea. I know. Other startups, for instance, might focus on English as a language or have English Korean, but you chose to have the working language fully in Korean. You have a lot of Korean employees. I mean, you also have foreign employees. How? What is it like working like this for you? And and why did you think it was particularly important to set it up this way? So, I mean, when I started out the company, I I wanted it to be more English. Ah, okay. But this packaging industry itself, it is really traditional, mm-hmm. um, not just um, on the way how they work, but also most of the people, they don't speak English in this industry. Mm-hmm. So that means also all of the salespeople, everybody on the production manager, they have to be Korean to like talk to our factories. And also if I would look for someone from the industry who speaks English, um, it's a really, really possible small pool. Mm. So I had to shift my own thoughts from like making an international, like English speaking company. Mm-hmm. And I had to scale up my career much faster because uh-huh. my career wasn't that good at the beginning when I started the company. It was good enough to handle uh, most of the tax issues, but still my speaking was not that good, uh-huh. especially not my business context. It was more of like a private context of speaking. Yeah. So I had to scale up a lot. I had a lot of um, private lessons and um, wow. yeah, to, to come to this stage. But at that time, I also had to switch the mind of like, we have to run the company in Korean. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have been hiring some new um, teammates here who, who are foreigners. And it's still, a, it's a still a tricky, tricky thing to integrate the English and the Korean yeah. environment together. I would like to have it more Korean, but this is a bit shifting more into English. So I have to oh. like bring it always back um, when we have like team meetings. And I initially tried to speak Korean in the team meetings. Um, and maybe I will translate it then or somebody else is translating it into English. But we still have to like put a stop onto going too much English. Oh, interesting. Everybody, my worry or my, yeah, actually my worry is that if we, if we don't focus too much on the Korean, my other um, employees who speak only Korean mm-hmm. will be kind of like feeling not welcome anymore. Yeah. So I don't want to give this feeling and uh, we're still a Korean company, so we have to speak Korean. Because it's very considerate also of of the different nuances exactly that you mentioned, right? Like you're a Korean company, you have people that might only speak Korean. Um, so then you want to make sure everyone feels like they are part of the team and not excluded based on language. Yeah. Um, and English is hard to learn, y'all. Like I know that we all speak it like naturally like, nowadays, but if you think of all the grammar and stuff, you're just like, why? <laughs> But still, when it comes to hiring in a company, I still look for people who are bilingual or at least speak some some commercial English. Just Especially right now, I'm looking more into like experienced employees, like direct kind of position, team leaders, and those kind of team leader position. I want them to speak also English, so mm. they can like jump into any kind of like talk. Um, even if it's just lunch, they can like translate or just help out. Exactly. Other. So that's why I need some bilingual people in here as well. 
and focus a lot on hiring those distance. Oh. Um, but when it comes to like junior level, I, I usually don't don't, don't mind speaking English or Korean. Yeah. Oh. That's an interesting setup though for a company. Yeah. And difficult culture wise as well, because even if you have foreigners like yourself or like others who speak Korean fluently, the way of working, like you mentioned, between Austria and here or like wherever the person might be from is still different. So how hard is it to build the team then from these different cultures for you? I think it's still an ongoing challenge. Oh. I would lie about this. It's, it's, it's <laughs> of course. Yeah, yeah. I'm just I'm, curious. And I'm still trying to figure things out. I'm really happy that I have recently hired a HR manager who is helping me on all of this awesome. culture building and um, um, yeah, all of this kind of really hard decision, people decision mm. stuff, um, which is I'm really happy that I can share my feelings and my ideas and also hear some feedback that this would be a good idea. Right? Exactly. Some critical feedback as well. So yeah, I'm really happy that I have this office manager, office HR manager right now. Yeah. That sounds like a big deal, actually. Yeah. You don't want to do it all on your own. <laughs> it's really helpful on, on trying to make it a really integrated um, culture of oh. both sides. So, yeah. Work, in, obviously, in the packaging world. Uh, what has been some of the biggest issues in this field in Korea, do you think? Because you've already mentioned a few things that it's a quite traditional market. Do you see that changing anytime soon? Do you feel like your company has already maybe contributed to a shift with people seeing what you're doing? Yes, definitely. So we, we have been already contributing a lot to this industry, I think. Uh, a lot of copycats coming these days. That's uh, copy <laughs> is the biggest flattery, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the... I wouldn't say those are those guys are competitors yet, um, but they wanna be. I would say. Oh. Um, but yeah, we, keeps you on your toes. <laughs> I've been doing some shifts um, already, and I think we we have much more um, potential to really make a big impact mm. um, even further. So we probably will establish our own factory by end of the year or early next year. Oh wow! Um, which which gives another impact on the whole whole industry, supply just, chain, and everything, and yeah. how you wanna. Right. run it um and also i think the difficulties in this industry as i said it's traditional um but also especially in asia it's really fragmented so oh. you have a lot of like small businesses who uh -huh. only have like one machine of this whole production so if you produce packaging you need around six to seven production steps and different machines oh um so most of the companies only have one or two machines uh -huh. and then it's like moving to different companies. Um, wow. Oh, wow. In, uh, in the States, you have like huge corporations like Westrock or whatever who have like a gigafactory of packaging. So it's, it's a bit different. When oh. I just came back from China, actually, and I thought in China it would be also more like gigafactories. Oh, interesting. So it does seem to be like a Korea thing that it's so fragmented. Well, well China, or... it's not actually. It's more similar also to Korea. I mean, they have, of course, bigger factories too. Oh. But it's not as big as I, I thought. Oh, okay. Um, so I think in, in China, it's more of an Asian thing, the whole Asian region that mm -hmm. is more fragmented mm -hmm. uh, versus the, the rest of, of the world. So, which also gives a lot of potential for us to to really make a big impact in this in this Asian um, yeah, market. Asian yeah. market, yeah. That's so cool. And speaking of then you're building your own factory, do you also consider then things like eco-friendly packaging as part of that future in your business? 
just because I'm a sustainability nerd. So yeah, so definitely. <laughs> so what we have also one of the problems right now is we don't have all of the modern meshes that can directly print on cardboard, for example. Uh-huh. Um, so you always need some coating when it comes to production. Uh-huh. Coating always means a thin layer of plastic, right? It's laminating. Uh-huh. Um, so in Korea, most of the packaging they need is laminating. Mm. So they are not really 100% recyclable anymore if you use this laminate. Oh. So what we recommend to most of our customers to do something like uncoated boxes, mm-hmm. um, but still you, you lose something like you cannot be so colorful, you cannot make it like really mm-hmm. colorful. Um, so right now we don't have this meshes in Korea. So one of our goals with our short run um, factory we'll be building is we also want to be able to print directly the materials without any laminating coating. So that makes it much more recyclable and yeah. more sustainable. Yeah. That makes me happy. <laughs> so, yeah, when I started the company, it was actually one of my biggest things I wanted to focus on, which is sustainability. Because mm-hmm. if I build a packaging company, it shouldn't be like a plastic packaging company. It should be something that also helps the environment yeah. if we do it um, better than other companies. So this is always has been and it's still um, on top of our highest part of our vision and mission to reduce the plastic, reduce all of the, the bad materials and bad production waste. Amazing. Yes, please. Thank you. <laughs> we need it. Especially because I feel like, I don't know about the rest of Asia, but in Korea for sure, there is a lot of things that get ordered. It is very much a order home kind of packaging yeah. galore type of economy. Um, and it is very easy to do, like food ordering, like anything online. So would you say that's the same from your experience? Do you see any shift in your customer base over the last few years of like who comes to you for packaging? So we have been focused from the beginning a lot on like eco-friendly packaging, sustainable mm-hmm. packaging in general. So most of our customers come to us because they want to produce it more sustainable. Oh. Um, so we already had this from the beginning. Um, what I see from other, other packaging companies, they also adapt this system more of being more sustainable and eco-friendly. So oh, I think amazing. in general, like, Korea has already seen a big shift in the packaging industry of like sustainability. Uh-huh. Which I wouldn't say this is from us, it's just from the consumers. Generally. Um, yeah, so also like if you look at the newest boxes from Samsung, um, Galaxy, whatever, Tabs, whatever, you see different materials these days which are much better than they used to be. They don't use any plastics anymore. Oh. Um, they have been shifting a lot too. That's I didn't know that. So that's really good to hear, actually, because it's packaging is such an issue for recycling and waste in general. So is a big contributor. So that's really great to hear, yeah. actually. Yeah, but the problem we still have in this packaging industry is companies like Samsung they can't afford to do something like this. There's a principle mm. um, paper press, which is basically usually you had this plastic trays where you had like a phone in there. It was like fit product fit mm-hmm. um, and these days you can do it with paper but if you produce it you need a lot of money because you have to make uh, like these tools okay. these molds and the molds will cost you I don't know ten thousand of dollars just just wow. just to make a mold so big companies can afford this but small companies still cannot yeah of course so and there's still a lot of things we have to do especially for small medium enterprises yeah exactly target right now actually. yeah um, so yeah and maybe um, we can shift a little bit more towards you as a person sure, yeah. from from hearing about your your awesome business. So, 
What are maybe three of your top websites or blogs that you feel like you can't live without? Like, do you have any that you check out religiously? Or are you not so much of a website app person? I would say I'm not so much of a website app person. Uh, I mean, my biggest app I use daily these days would be LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn has been growing a lot in Korea. Oh, years of, um, oh hey, hey, networker. Yeah. <laughs> so I use it a lot for recruiting these days too. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, LinkedIn is, it has been probably my go-to social media application these days. Oh, interesting. <laughs> also, I found this new application, which I just started using since May, actually. It's called Headway. It's kind of like Audible. Um, like it gives you... It gives you summaries of books rather than you read this whole book or listen ah. to the whole book. It gives you like a 15 minutes or you can actually choose how long you want to have the summary. 15 to 30 minutes summary. So Ooh. whenever I drive actually up to the office, I usually listen to this headway mm. app and give get some summaries of really cool books that I recommend, especially for like, about like company building or product building or something like that, yeah. That sounds really yeah. practical. It's a, it's a really, really cool app, yeah. Oh, yeah, because I think I've seen it on Instagram always. They know yeah. they know their audience. Yes. They know how to target. <laughs> and why did you decide to start? I mean, I think we kind of touched upon this. But basically, is it that you feel like you started your business? Why? Like, is it because you wanted to stay here or also... Was there something else behind it? Maybe you always wanted to be your own boss. I think, I think, well, when I was young, when I was like 14-ish, 13-ish, I had the goal to run my own company at one, one stage. So At 13? Yeah. Oh, my God. So, <laughs> I, I said, like, when I'm 30, probably I'm, I'm going to run my own company. So, yeah, we, we were very different 13-year-olds. <laughs> and what do you feel like, if you don't mind talking about it, but we always learn from all our mistakes and failures. I don't actually think there's like failures per se, but what, because you always learn from it, right? Like, yeah. I mean, if you don't learn from it, then you do something wrong, but yeah, you... Yeah, yeah, exactly. What would you say have been some of your, some of the mistakes or something that maybe went wrong that you've come across in building your company? I think so. there's so many. And <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I think the only way of succeeding is by doing a lot of mistakes. Yeah, I agree. Company, right? um, so my top three mistakes would be when I started the company, I, I didn't do it as lean as I should have. So mm -hmm. I was building this 3D packaging editor at the beginning um, rather than focusing on sales. So this first stage, we should just have, like mid-landing page, just start selling packaging mm. without building any tech stuff. But I was programming almost for a year to just get things started. I think this is oh, wow. the one biggest mistake. Um, so we didn't have enough insights. And it was basically, it was a, we were really lucky. I was really lucky that it just worked out. But basically, it could have ended into, I put one year into programming and nobody uses it. And it was, would have been just the end of the company, right? Uh. So I think this was my biggest mistake, um, number one. Second one would be people you work with. You have to be really, you have to choose wisely. Yeah, for sure. Um, still... I'm doing a lot of other mistakes always. I can always make some mistake with people who are higher. I hope I, I don't, but right now I have a really good team. <laughs> but 
um, it's a mistake that can happen, of course. Uh, so this one's my second biggest mistake. And my third mistake would be to assume I could run the company in English at the beginning. Ah. So I think this was also one of the biggest mistakes. Because oh, really? Was, yeah. Because if I have, if I would have focused more on the Korean part from the beginning, uh-huh. I think the journey would have been much shorter of like finding people, ah, hiring people. Uh-huh. Um, so I think it would have helped me a lot. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I learned it also the, the hard way and I shifted my <laughs> to this Korean environment and like Korean culture, um, company culture-wise. Like yeah. wise. And it, it helps more, I think, these days. But yeah. Mm. um thank you for sharing that is there anything beyond those mistakes that if you started over you would do differently do you think like so would it be like for instance i guess you wouldn't do the programming for a year for instance yeah and just do the sales is there anything else that jumps out on you that you would be like oh dominic young dominic if only you had known Um, yeah, uh, I think right now I'm at a, at a stage of um, a bit more than 10 people right now. So, or we just hit the 11 people. Um, so, oh, congrats. Thanks. Um, so at the beginning, we didn't really focus on too much on company roles and company, like every company needs their own company roles. And, mm, and like company like, oh, culture yeah, kind of thing. Company culture and also culture requires roles, in my opinion, mm. to make it really work well. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I would have started more of the role building from the day one, mm-hmm. it could have helped a lot during the whole process because what I've ah. experienced during the time, some employees didn't really adjust well by suddenly those pools are getting traded. And when you hit um, five people in Korea, five employees, you have to implement company roles. Mm. And when you have 10 people, you have to register these company roles at the labor court. Oh, So there's a, there's a procedure you have to do by law. Uh-huh. So we followed it. I followed this um, this year. But there were some employees who really didn't take it well. That some oh, no. of those rules I created. Uh-huh. Um, so I wish I would have created those rules in the beginning, have everything laid out so mm-hmm. it, doesn't, it seems more transparent from the beginning. Mm, yeah. Suddenly there are these different roles and it's not something I chose to implement, right? It's just something that you has to. to. Um, so I, I think this would have made a lot of things easier at the beginning, yeah. Do you have any maybe advice for young entrepreneurs, especially maybe people who want to start out in, in South Korea as a foreigner, for example? Probably a bunch of advices. If I, <laughs> if I have to sing it down to one is get a good mentor. Oh. So I I also started some business mentoring since I think last year. I have this really awesome German mentor who is in Berlin based. Uh-huh. Um, so he's not really about Korea, but it's it's really good to like meet with him every month. Mm-hmm. And he's like helping me on hard decisions. He's like just it's just talking um and we just use a board and like draw things. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Just talking about it, and he like gives me some advices. It, it makes things really easy and yeah. just open your eyes, basically. 
Um, so it's really helpful. And I wish I had like 10 more of those kind of mentors. <laughs> so I think whoever starts a company, not just in Korea, but everywhere, um, it's really good to have a mentor, number one. And if you start a company in Korea, it's even better if you have someone like as a Korean, a Korean. person or like experienced person who ran a company or runs a company mm. here to help you along all of these different steps. Yeah, because it can be quite overwhelming, I think. And you don't have to just have one mentor. You can have yeah, definitely. a few different ones yes. for different things. Yeah. So the best. Yeah. So yeah, go out, look for people, network. Yeah. Yeah. Figure that out. LinkedIn. Hashtag LinkedIn. Hashtag sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you feel like is your favorite part being an entrepreneur like this? Seeing making an impact and seeing the growth. Oh yeah. 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 I think that's the because it, it has had like you have had such an impact, it sounds already like in yeah. the, even in the like who can say they've had an impact on an entire freaking industry? That's awesome. <laughs> but yeah, I mean also my my happy moments when it comes to impact is like reading my my customer feedback. So we mm. get a feedback journey every every time somebody ordered. And sometimes I read these videos and people just say like, oh, thank you. It was so easy to order them. Process is much easier. Mm. This is like really, I'm really happy about is that the way we implemented things of like making everything simpler was on the, the whole journey of making packaging. It is really appreciated and accepted. And what do you think is one of your, the, like the counter question is like, what is one of the hardest parts of being an entrepreneur in your opinion? The hardest part is, especially, I mean, this is for me, I'm not sure if everybody shares the same thing, but the hardest part is you have to please a lot of people. You mm. have to please your customers, you have to um, please your team, number one, which is uh, the most important people in your company, yeah. is your team. Um, but you also have to, if you have investors, you also have to please them. You have to, mm. you have to have rules, you have to have a growth, you have to have perspective. There are so many things you have to do mm-hmm. and so many things you want to do. And you have to combine them and you have to make everybody happy at the same time. So I think this is the, the hardest part. Yeah, that sounds and like should, a hard balance. Yeah, <laughs> you shouldn't you lose yourself in the way as well. Right? So, yeah, exactly. Like, how do you keep your specialness, your identity through all of that, right? Yeah. Because it is what makes your company special always right. is yeah. the uniqueness of what you bring to it. Right. Yeah. So... Uh, at what point would you say you took a step back and you're like, oh, this is like going well, this is like a successful company. Have you had that moment yet? Or are you critical? No, no, we're not there yet. No. Uh, Even though you've done all the, all of those, these things. <laughs> being so late on, I, I haven't really stopped there. And so like, oh, we're super successful, we're successful. I think you still have a long journey to go. Ah, uh, Dominic. <laughs> To have like this moment of like we've made it or we have like a success is probably only when we get acquired at one point if I have an uh, answer, okay, if yeah. I have like IPO or something. Uh-huh. Um, maybe if I if I close our next investor round with Series A, it's like okay. Series A is like one of the biggest. I would say like one of the next biggest steps. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Maybe this also helps me a bit more of like. Like to break it down yeah. a little step, little successes. It doesn't have to be like the final one right off the bat. Okay. <laughs> well, I think like to really think like I made it. It's really successful. Is probably if we made it to IPO or um, we sold the company or something mm. like that. Yeah, we've merged. Up. 
expand it. I think also this would be one of the successful moments where it's like mm-hmm. expanded to Indonesia, Vietnam, and all that. Yeah. yeah. Those are really amazing goals, though. I quite, I think it, it's coming. It's in the future. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. I will give my best to make it happen. Yeah. Do you manage work life balance, Dominic? I feel like I know the answer to this. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I would say yes. Oh, okay. Because I think work life balance, balance is something you define for yourself. That's true. Um, so what I. I really dislike this, like talking to people who are not running a company and just doing a nine to six job. And then they would ask me like, why you put so much work into running a company? Mm-hmm. Um, don't you have any hobbies or something? And I would always say we're making this company, building this company is my hobby. I'm just doing this for work. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I had my dream. I, I started my dream and it's, I'm working on my dream and I'm doing this not because I have to do it. I'm doing it because it's fun. Um, <laughs> well, of course, it's hard too, but it's still fun. It's like a hobby. And therefore, it is. it doesn't feel like working is working for me. Okay. So even though I work 14 hours, I'm not exhausted from like... Dominic. It's super exhausting. Also, sometimes I work just eight hours or six hours. It also happens. Okay. But it's... Less hard. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's still my life. It's my company. It's, yeah, yeah, it yeah. It has my personality in this company. This is me. This company is me, right? Yeah. So uh, I think it's still... I have a work, good work-life balance because this is part of me. Okay. Yeah. That's a nice way of putting it, though. Yeah. And although I will say working 14 hours is a lot, but I'm glad you're not <laughs> feeling tired by it. Let's just say Sure, 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 sure. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm not sure I believe <laughs> What What is um, one of the things you're most excited about at work right now? Is there something coming down the pipeline? So we have been accepted to tips, right? So this is super exciting. We have to I mean, build, that's true. <laughs> we have to build a new product right now. Oh, um, because of that? Yeah. Like you get, oh, okay. So we, we're building an AI product um, related to our business right now. With this, oh. um, we got, um, since it's a research project, right? Uh-huh. So for the next two years, we, we build a new solution um, focusing on generative AI. So yeah, this is super exciting and I'm super, super happy about this. It's also scary at some point, but still, it's yeah, but scary. Um, you yeah. look super enthusiastic. Again, yeah. people can't see it, but like you're like fully smiley about it. You're like, ha, yeah. hell yeah, we're building this new AI. <laughs> right. well, this is one part of the other one. Um, so if you do this right, we can become actually a really billion dollar company. Wow. So this is why I'm like really happy about this too that we can make a really, really cool software that help not just Korea, but everybody. Anywhere. Yeah, designers and factories. And um, yeah. And on the other hand, we have, I mean, I mentioned before the factory part. I'm really excited to build our own factory too. So I'm mm. really looking forward to that one. It's something totally different. Um, also still scary because it has to be <laughs> machines and we have to find the space and it's risky and but still it's fun to build a factory that doesn't exist in Korea. Yeah. So we focus on smart factoring. So uh-huh. uh, I'm trying to use more robotic arms and robotics in general. Mm-hmm. Trying to do more unmanned as unmanned factory. I don't want people to move around the paper all the time. It should be like smooth. Uh-huh. Like from one machine to the next one in the world. Smooth process. Smooth process. Yeah. Smooth, smooth sailing. This is super exciting to 
Like a lot of cool stuff coming down yeah. the pipeline here. Yeah. Yeah. Watch the space, guys. <laughs> and I guess it would be nice maybe to end our chat on maybe a bit of a culture tip or something from your side. You know, something very different from the conversation we've been having. Is there something maybe in Seoul that you recently came across or experienced that you're like, oh, this is something I'd like to share with people. They should check this out. Last weekend, we were, where were we? In, I think it was called Anthracite or something. Oh. Yeah, it was a really full. A bit fancy, but cool bar. Hey, man, splurge every once in a while. It's okay. Yeah. You can be bougie sometimes. Right. So, I, but I like those bars where actually people start talking to each other. So, oh. more of like the Western concept. So, being uh, yeah, 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 yeah. more for like those kind of Like bars. chill vibes. Chill vibes. You talk to people. You just like yeah. to know people. Um, I mean, you don't have to become best friends. You just like exchange information. Yeah, yeah. Like a, a nice talk. Yeah. I did that. On my birthday, I went to Zest. Do you know Zest? They just won the number one Asia bar. Shout out to Zest. Uh, they are very bougie and fancy, I will say. They're expensive, so I can afford one drink there. But it was my birthday, so I splurged. <laughs> <laughs> and they're so nice. The, the bartenders are so good and so kind, and everyone speaks English. And I met, like, randomly the girl next to me had her birthday, too. Oh, and so we started talking and, cool. and stuff, right? So oh. that was really cute. Like, I, I agree. I like those kind of things. Yeah. yeah. Um, and last but not least, any pluggables? How can people, what is the best way for people to find you? Is yeah, packetif.com. Packetif.com. is quite good to, or just LinkedIn. Um, you can find me, um, our company. Yeah, is it? Can people like connect with you on LinkedIn? Is that cool for you as well? Cool. Okay. And if you need something, if you need some tips of how to run a business, just reach out and wave a message. Oh, that's yeah. really kind of you. I'm sure people will take you up on that. Yeah, it will be cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Because <laughs> like you're running a little like empire here now, so I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh, damn. So uh, really appreciated. And best luck with dominating the packaging sphere in Asia. Yeah. You, you heard it here first, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs>Thanks so much for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, please like and subscribe, and we'll see you again next week.